Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of Ten Bound Research Labs, hosted by Derek Williams. Ten Bound Research Labs is a special podcast series focused purely on researching the top technology tools that teams are using to see sales development success. And for the very first episode of Ten Bound Research Labs, Derek brought on a fantastic first guest, Mark Magnaka. He is president and co-founder of Aligo. He's also co-author of Mastering Virtual Selling, Orchestrating Sales Success. And Mark brings his vast experience from helping thousands of sales pros as a sales consultant to this first episode. Derek kicks off the episode by asking Mark to talk about his first job in sales. And Mark takes us down memory lane and talks about what life was like before the top of funnel acronyms, SDR, ADR, BDR, when it was just cold calling, when there wasn't much technology, when he was passing the phone to his boss. Mark continues the beginning of the episode talking about how virtual selling is not necessarily something that's new. The concept of building relationships with people that we've never met, coast to coast, sales relationship building has been happening for years. Mark talks about what is new and novel in the world of selling today and why we won't go back to how things were before the pandemic. Just a fantastic way to start off episode one. As we move forward around 10 minutes, Mark gives some thoughtful responses to common objections that he's heard about why virtual selling doesn't work. At the 18 minute mark, Derek asks Mark for tips on keeping frontline reps engaged and properly trained post onboarding. And Mark talks about how the Illegal platform helps teams achieve this. The value continues at 25 minutes, Mark shares ways that his team helps sales enablement and training leaders redefine their roles keeping them more in tune with their sales teams and driving success faster. Something that every sales leader needs to tune into. And as the episode wraps up, Derek and Mark talk about what sets Mark's team apart from other companies, how they focus on enabling sales enablement, training, and sales leadership to drive outcomes. Such a value-packed, exciting episode to kick off this special series, 10 Bound Research Labs, hosted by Derek Williams. Enjoy episode one. Okay, hi everyone. This is Derek with 10 Bound Research Labs, and today I'm joined by Mark McNacka. Mark is the uh, co-founder and president of Alego and co-author of Mastering Virtual Selling, Orchestrating Sales Success. Mark has helped thousands of entrepreneurs, salespeople, and executives as a very successful sales consultant, and I'm excited to have him on the show today. Mark, you told me when we were just briefing right now about your first job. What was that, and can you maybe elaborate for us? Yeah, before it was called SDR, Sales Development Rep, or ADR, Account Development Rep, or BDR, right? Business Development Rep. Before that, it was just called cold calling. For those of you who have seen the movie Wall Street, and to some extent, The Wolf of Wall Street, but mostly Wall Street, you'll know that back in the time when I was doing this, which was, believe it or not, 1987, 1988, I was in college. Derek, the way that it worked back then, not only do we not have all of these cool tools to make outreach, right? I literally would dial the phone. I have, I have cards with numbers. I dial the phone. I had a script that I would use. And when the person expressed interest, 
I would say, hold for, for Bob, and I would say his last name. I'd press a button, for, and I'd move the phone over, hand it to him, wow. and he'd pick it up like that. So what's interesting as a backstory here that I hadn't really considered until we started working on this book called Mastering Virtual Selling right. was that this idea that virtual selling is new is completely false. It's one of the myths. When you think about it in the stock brokerage securities business from 30 years ago, there were people that I met that had clients, they were in New York or Boston and they had clients in California. They had been working together for 20 years. They'd never met face to face. The entire relationship was by the phone. In fact, in many cases, they'd never seen each other face to face because in, you know, when would you have taken a picture and sent it to each other? So it was virtual, it was by phone, it was by mail, but the same dynamic was at hand. So one of the myths that you know, we can talk about is that virtual, the idea that virtual is, is new, isn't really true. The idea that virtual visual communication, like what we're doing right now, which is more like television than radio, that being mainstream, that is indeed new. And there are elements that we believe are critical to being successful. But the notion of virtual as a kind of a new way of selling is in many ways inaccurate. Nice. Well, for the audience, I'm sure you can appreciate Mark's background. He's been through the grind. He understands what it takes to actually be successful and see the model still exists. You're absolutely right. It's just, it's become a new norm. And you know, I was doing some prep and one of the things that I caught that you had mentioned is that you, you believe that we're not going back right? This is, we're into a new state of virtual, as you mentioned, and I think you called flat screen selling. Tell me, why do you think we're not going back? We understand there's a lot of elements at play in the world today, but why are we not going back? Why is it this the new norm? Yeah, well, I think there's so many people that have slowly come to the conclusion as the pandemic unfolded and then Delta variant. I mean, we all had high hopes. We all hope by this time that, that, the quote 2019 normal would have returned and we'd be going back to conferences. But I'm going to tell you that if you study what happened in the Great Depression, what, you, what you'll know, and I know this from my own grandfather, is that so many people were psychologically traumatized by what happened that it stayed with them the rest of their life. Hmm. Now, I'm not saying this is true for the entire world. What I'm telling you is there are a lot of people who prior to 2019 they were comfortable getting on an airplane and just going to conferences. They went to lots of different meetings. There's a percentage of those people who are not going to be doing that. That's number one. Right. Number two, ask yourself this question, Derek. If you were a CFO and your sales organization said, hey, we've got one of our salespeople. They want to fly across the United States for a first meeting. It's going to cost 2000 bucks for them to fly across country, have one meeting, and fly back. Which, by the way, those kinds of things happen, at least in some of the industries we support, prior to 2019, most thinking sales leaders would today say, wait a minute, why don't you do a first call virtually? Let's get them on the phone. Let's get, you know, get them on the screen. Let's get started. And then if we have something, then we can make a case. So what this means is the definition of essential travel has changed. Mm. And, and my hope is that it, it's not that there won't be any travel, because I think there will be, but the threshold for when you're going to get on an airplane as a salesperson has changed. So ultimately, what this means in terms of, of your question is that we fundamentally believe that the future of the next five, five plus, if not 10 years, is going to be a hybrid world where there will be mostly, vid, mostly virtual, and particularly in technology, and some in person. And then in other industries, it may be as much as 50-50. But in so many places, what's become hugely apparent 
is the efficiency of doing what you and I are doing right now absolutely outshines the difficulties there are in building rapport and reading a room and some of the other objections that typically come up. Wow. Wow. Yeah. The travel and expense budgets are definitely not going back. Right. Those CFOs have wisened up. I appreciate that. And on the other side of that, there's a statistic that Allego presents to the market, and it's about 75% of B2B buyers actually prefer virtual over traditional face-to-face interactions as well. Is that right? That's right. And that's not our statistic. That's from Forrester. Mm. And, and, you know, one, I think one of the, the elements of that is that a lot of salespeople, it just takes a little time to digest, is that what's going to change the dynamic of virtual versus not virtual is not the salesperson. It's not a function of, am I the salesperson willing to come see you, Derek? The question is, do you want to see me? Right? That's the question. And so put yourself in the buyer's perspective, right? This is, this is really the big, one of the big ideas in the book, which seems so obvious, but like a lot of things, until someone points it out, it's really not self-evident. We have a a sales process that most of us use, particularly SDRs. We think top of the funnel. We think of this. The funnel is the governing metaphor that we use in terms of where we are in in terms of stages. But what we forget is we're dealing with human beings. Human beings don't follow like a marble just dropping from one level to the other. Human beings have their own buying process. And, you know, you, you think about how you make a buying decision. As an example, this morning, I was buying a new pair of headphones and I wanted headphones because I was interviewing a guy who had this really cool mouthpiece and headphones and I asked him about it. He said, this is great. This is the why I like it. I said, that's the one I want to get. I went to order it and the exact one he had was no longer available. So I had to start doing some research. Well, before you know it, I got 15 different options and wireless versus wired versus you know mono and stereo. There's all of this stuff. And I realized that I know what I want. But even when I know what I want, I still sometimes need help guiding me through it. So the operating framework here that that we have is that we think of selling as a service. So, you know, there's software as a service. In many ways, we think of this whole process of what you're doing, which is like the service of helping people buy. And when you shift the framework around, you know, somebody, I already knew which headphones I wanted, but I went through several different steps myself. And so where this is leading is that if I, as the salesperson, say, hey, I'm willing to come back to see you, my client, or you, my prospect, that's not really the question. The question is, what's your preferred communication style, Derek? Do you prefer to do in-person? You know, some people will do a Zoom call and look at your screen. They don't even want to put their camera on. And, you know, there's different reasons for why that may be the case. I think the idea of having a forward-leaning posture, that your preference is to be able to look at each other in the eyes, even on this flat screen, that that's a great way to, to begin, but to be adaptive and know that if people prefer to go with camera off or people prefer to use the telephone, there's lots of different ways now to communicate and it doesn't have to be face-to-face. Right. So, I mean, he's giving the buyer more options, which actually works better for the salesperson so that you can actually match their preferred communication style and remove obstacles and friction in that, right? Forcing a first meeting to be in person. That's tough. It's a big pressure. They know, you know, as a buyer, in some cases myself, knowing someone's traveling across the country to meet with me when I'm not fully committed to buying their product. There's a little bit of a, you know, a vibe that sets in with that, you know, it's you're exactly uh, right. Yeah, yeah you're, you're exactly right. And Derek, it's funny because I just did a training session on the book. We started to roll out a training session on this book to our own client base, mm. many of whom are technology companies. 
And one of the questions that came up was literally, it was, a, it was an objection as I was going through this, you know, what's your experience? And one of the guys said, well, what about the fact that in the Sandler sales model, there's a level of commitment to what you just said, that if you invite me to your place, we, you know, there's an underlying commitment that just happened in terms of an upfront contract that's different than getting people on a Zoom call. And I said, that's true. But the flip side of the coin is time is people's most precious commodity. So right at that point, another one of the salespeople chimes up and he says, yeah, but I've had buyers tell me it's harder for them to gather up the team to get on a Zoom call than it is to get them in person. Which I said, look, Hmm. I'm now going to propose that there are a lot of people who are struggling in part because they haven't mastered virtual selling. And they're using as an alibi, an unconscious alibi. The thing is, it's because we're not in person. To which, to both of those objections, I said the following. Number one, with respect to gathering people together, if ever there was an easier way to gather 10 people that need to meet than Zoom, I don't know what it was. Yeah, I don't know what it is. <laughs> it was not getting them into a room in New York City in a hotel. Right, you know, right. out of every 10 people, someone was stuck in the elevator, someone was stuck in the taxi. Like, there was always something. That's number one. Number two, as I said, in the hybrid world going forward, even if you got to the company in person, I know at a company like ours, it's not going back to five days full time in person. It's going to be two days, three days. So what that means is you're not necessarily going to get the whole management team in the office on the same day anyway. That's another consideration people have to take into account. And then finally, Derek, you know, if you really play this out and and you think about it to the last objection the salesperson gave who said, look, it's, it's really hard for me to gather them up. I said, if you can't do a call on your end to gather up the buying committee to explain why it's important we talk to these folks at 10 Bound or at Lego or wherever it is, you can't do that. What makes you think that if you were physically together, you would have this magical power that you lack right now? That's a fair question. Right? And so what all I'm doing, and I'm doing it purposefully, because these are my own people, some of these objections, and and some of them are people from our client who was part of this, this session, it's to provoke thinking, right? I want to get people thinking about, wait a minute, maybe there's these unconscious biases that I have. Maybe there's just like a, I've created an imaginary wall that's preventing me from doing something instead of realizing, why don't you go test that hypothesis and find mm-hmm. out, is that actually true? Yeah, yeah, a lot of discussion there for sure. I want to switch gears a little bit if that's okay. You mentioned earlier as well that you have SDRs of your own there at Alego. Can you walk us through an example or just talk to in general terms how rolling the book out with your own SDR teams and using the Lego platform together has worked for you? And you know, let's, let's bring those two worlds together. Yeah, sure. So Derek, like many technology companies, you know, we have a, a structure, first of all, where our SDRs, in, as in so many cases, are truly the lifeblood of the organization. They really are. So we take the finding of them, the hiring of them, the onboarding of them very seriously. It's a super important differentiator. And in particular, their ability to ramp and be able to speak intelligently and fluently on on what we do in our value proposition. So first and foremost, I will tell you that our own platform, Alego, is central to the onboarding process. I got to tell you, there was one of our ADRs who's one of our top performers. He was hired on a Friday. He didn't start until Monday. He got access to a Lego. He logged into it. And there's a course that we have 
But unlike the old school boring learning management courses, which was like an e-learning voiceover PowerPoint for 30 minutes, this was a series of short videos, like nine short videos. So you watch a short video from one of your peers, the top person in financial services, the top person in med device, top person in high tech, all talking about a concept in the way they communicate it. And then after you watch them, it's your turn to record. You can watch them as many times as you want, but at a certain point, you know, you got to do it. That's no different, Derek, than in the old days, the way we would do it is, you know, you'd be in a room and you'd watch someone give the presentation and then someone pulls you up to the hot seat and now you got to do it. So we use it in that capacity first and foremost to get people up to speed. This guy who's one of our top ones now, he arrives on day one and his manager just happens to pull up a Lego and looks in the analytics. He's like, are you kidding me? You watched 41 videos before you even officially started here. And he said, yeah, I did. And he said, I got, I got a whole list of questions that I want to ask you. The manager then recounted back to our management team. He said, it was literally one of the best conversations I've had with an employee on day one ever. And the reason why is the questions he asked were so on point. They were so intelligent. Relevant, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this other myth, there's no such thing as a stupid question. I hate to tell you, that's not true. <laughs> the, reason, the reason I say that isn't because you shouldn't be able to ask questions. It's that if you're asking me a stupid question, which I define as a question, you could have easily answered on Google or by going to the, the webpage or to LinkedIn on the person you're calling. If you're asking someone a rhetorical question that's self-evident on their website or their LinkedIn, then it's a stupid question. This guy came in, bang, 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 asking all these questions, and his manager's like, wow, this is the kind of person we want working for us. I love it. I love it. That's a great, great success story. And I love how you connect retention in there and build that role play or what I like to refer to as simulation into the system as well. So it's not, it's not a one way. It's a bi-directional experience. It seems that like you're actually creating an interactive experience for, for the users, which is really good because I think that's what's missing in a lot of onboarding experiences. In some cases, a new SDR, even remote, which is the vast majority today, are handed an onboarding guide with some required readings and presentations to, to take a look at, and then in two weeks be ready to go live with little to no interaction, no demonstration of what good looks like. And so I like how you, you, you touched on all of that so seamlessly and it's built right into the platform. And I'm sure the concepts of the book tie into the platform and vice versa, right? They really do. It, one, one feeds off the other. And look, the, the reason we, we wrote this book, Derek, is we wanted to codify in one place the very best thinking. It's like an all-in-one guide. And, and what we realized is that so many of our SDRs literally, I mean, I am so proud of them when I think of, in particular, I'm proud of the ones who have joined us after March of 2020. So we've had a couple of get-togethers, and I've gotten to then meet them. Our company during COVID has grown from 150 to 250. Wow. That's a lot of people. Congratulations. Thank you. During this time, I hadn't physically met them. But let me give you an example of what we do. Every new hire at Alego records a 60-second or less video. It's a real simple script. Hi, my name is. My role is. I'll be working here. This is my team. And then you know, one or two things of interest. When you see, when you're a new person and in, with, with a Lego videos, the way that it works, Eric, is the video's playing and you can interact with the video where you can put a, a sticky note and put a little comment or a thumbs up or whatever the case might be. 
So imagine it's your first day, right? You record one of these videos and you literally get 150 people. Welcome, Derek. So glad to have you. Looking forward to meeting you in person. Like, boop, 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 and they just roll across the screen. It's like, wow. You're not on an island like you yeah, thought you might be. <laughs> That's really great. Cool. So the onboarding is really critical. Onboarding during you know a pandemic like what we've been facing is a massive challenge. Let's talk about the ongoing aspect post onboarding. I've ramped up, and you know now I, I need to continuously stay sharp. One of the challenges that we see is how you keep the sales development playbook integrated into the way SDRs work, right? How do you keep a, a frontline seller enabled? How does the Allego platform extend beyond onboarding and keep people sharp? Yeah, it's really a great question. And we define modern sales enablement. You can think of it almost as a wheel, all right? And you know, for those folks who are, are watching, I'm just going to pull up a page from the book because we describe this. And for those of you listening, I'll just tell you what it says. Derek, if you look on the screen now, the five essential components of modern sales enablement, you'll see it. It really begins with the onboarding and training that you've just described, right? And how to bolster the training and the reinforcement. We have something called flash drills. So not only do we do it in terms of the exercises specific to the onboarding, but at 30 days, at 60 days, now you start getting flash drills where once a day, you might get a 30-second video and it has one question at the end. Or it's a 60-second and now you have to respond with a video and your response is literally 10 seconds. And what happens is you just start to habituate where no matter what they ask me, I have a good answer. And by the way, the good answer could be, that's a great question. I don't know the answer, but I can get back to you with a correct answer, right? Then you go uh, to the next phase of modern sales enablement. It's about the launches and rollouts. I know Derek, you have a background in the medical device segment. We do a lot of work with med device, and I don't have to tell you from your time in, in the spinal world, whether it's cardiovascular, respiratory, you name it, the same dynamic as at hand. If you're going to be in front of a physician or a healthcare provider, you better know your stuff. And the truth is, the only way to demonstrate and certify that you know your stuff, whether it's operating a ventilator or whether it's installing a stent or whatever the case might be, being able to roll it out have people learn how to do it, and then in effect, record themselves doing it. We have a lot of firms that have saved a ton of money even before COVID, where they moved the certification from flying everybody into a major city mm -hmm. to do these certifications to doing it remotely. So that's the second piece. The third piece is content management. You know, one of the things that's happened in our industry is the convergence of sales enablement has really come to mean not just coaching, collaboration, and onboarding, and product launch. It also includes content. Up to this point, you had two different camps. You had the content people, and then you had the people like us. And what's really coming together is a recognition that there needs to be a suite. It doesn't really make sense that my onboarding content, my launch content, is in some disparate system for content management. You know, I call it the Microsoft Office model. You might argue that Word isn't the best word processor and PowerPoint isn't the best and that Excel isn't the best. You could say there's others of any of them that are better. But the flip side of that coin is that if you're used to using them and you know that they work together, how do you quantify the value of simplicity and being able to be fluent in all of them if you know one of them in terms of the, you know, the user interface and the like? Most people are realizing this makes a difference because we don't want a totally separate content management versus 
the rest of enablement. Having said that, because of the way the world's built right now, we integrate with a number of content management systems because we have to. Well, you just dovetailed into two questions that I had teed up. One was content updates. How do we, it sounds like a lot of work to build it and to maintain it. And that's the challenge with playbooks that sell, you know, sales development playbooks as well is that, you know, a lot of times they're built at a certain period of time and then it's a challenge to iterate upon them and keep them current. So can you double click on the content management and the integration piece? Because that was the second question I wanted to delve into. What else do you integrate with? So how do you keep the data the content updated. It seems like a lot of work. I'm loading two questions here. And also, who else do you integrate with? Sure. Well, in terms of the second question, we integrate with lots of people, namely Great. starting with salesforce.com, right? A number of other well-known content management providers in the industry. We have pipelines and APIs to all of them because you know many of our customers, they bought us for one purpose. They bought a content manager for another purpose, and we had to integrate, right? So the answer is it's, it's not hard to do an integration. And when done well, it can absolutely work. It's just that over time, the trend is bringing these things together in a suite rather than having them separate. So that's the first thing. As Got far it. as your question, Derek, about the content creation piece, let me give you an example. We have a group of SDRs who are calling upon financial services organizations. Imagine that when you open up salesforce.com and you open up an account and that the particular financial services organization's name is presented to you, imagine that the system can now pull three or four short form videos. So for example, you're calling on financial services firm X. Here's a two minute video from our salesperson who is most successful in financial services explaining to you the nuance of how you approach this call. That's number first video. Second video is our product expert talking about how we have compliance-only features in financial services that's specifically relevant to them, right? And the third video is a video from, for example, a relationship manager that's just giving you a little overview on the big trends that are happening in that industry. So now, in less than 10 minutes, you're a new SDR. It's not that you're an expert. It's that you go from the lacking of of confidence because you think, I don't even know what a wealth manager is or an asset manager to... I know enough to be able to make a phone call. And so that's the first piece. The second piece in the spirit of democratizing content management, ask yourself this question, who do you want to learn from? With all due respect to the trainers, because I've been a trainer myself, a trainer or a person who's demonstrated their ability to do the job. Most people would say, I don't care if it's an eight-year-old kid on YouTube, if he can prove that they can do something I can't do, that's the person I want to learn from. So what we've had to do is help a lot of sales enablement and training people rethink about their job and say, look, your job is not to be the actor. Your job is to be the director. You're pulling together the talent and you're democratizing it because the number one salesperson in product line A may not be the number one in product line B. What if you asked both of them to do a five-minute video instead of you trying to do one 10-minute video? And now you're spreading the load so that refreshing the content when new products and new market dynamics occur becomes a, a much more manageable task. Man, I can think of a lot of different you know teams that I've been on where this would have been phenomenally useful and really helped drive a difference. There are managers out there today, SDR managers, inside sales managers that are trying to build onboarding programs and coaching programs, on de- you know ongoing development programs on their own. They're using 
spreadsheets and Word documents like you were mentioning earlier, or, you know, maybe we're looking at a learning management system that's, you know, probably single direction, right? There's no interaction there. So this is, this has been eye opening because this is something that if it was free, everybody should have it, but I know it's not free. What's the typical new engagement look like if a client was onboarding for the first time with a Lego, what does kind of the, that onboarding experience look like? Well, it's a big part of how we differentiate ourselves. And before I answer that, Derek, but I will address just the point you made. For those of you who have a background with what I'll call the legacy learning management system, the person who's the most highly regarded in the world of chief learning officers on this topic is a guy named Josh Burson. And he's an industry analyst and very highly regarded and really one of the people that helped introduce the learning management system. The point he makes, Derek, in a very clear and direct manner is this. The learning management system was never designed to teach you anything. Hmm. Now, when you first hear that, you might think, what? He said, when when learning management systems began, it was back in the day when you literally needed to hold a conference room, hold a slide projector, hold certain seats, organize food, like you were managing the process Hmm. of learning, but you weren't necessarily learning anything. And so that system evolved into this one-way model that you described. Now, look, for certain things like compliance training, I'm not saying that there's, there's no need for it, but what Josh Burson has said is the learning management systems that exist in most companies today, and by the way, they don't exist, in my experience, broadly among smaller high-tech companies. But for the larger companies that still have them, they've become more like the mainframe. They're in the background, and the tools like Lego and other parts of the sales enablement stack These are the ones that salespeople are interacting with. If it has an API and it connects back to a a learning management system for a specific reason, that's okay. But the future of the business is not the LMS. Yeah, that was definitely a mind shift. Had no idea that that's where the origins of LMS came from. So if I was to, you know, engage newly with you and I was signing up for the first time, you know, what does the standard onboarding experience or new implementation kind of look like for an Allego customer? Well, we really do have this white glove mindset. And, you know, I will tell you that a very important distinction, my co-founder built a very successful prior technology company that he later sold to IBM. So he is, we first came together, there was just no question. His expertise was high tech and my expertise was financial services. I want to remind you that the financial services business, when done well, is very much about differentiating itself on the experience. Because think about it, whether it's a bank or a credit card, you know, there's only so much differentiation between one bank account, one mutual fund, one credit card, like, you know what I mean? Like the product differentiation, the commoditization happens so fast. And so what firms realized is that the onboarding, the client experience really matters. So that has informed my thinking from the very beginning. And while we recognize that in a perfect world, these technologies would be self-adopting, they're not. And the reason they're not is because it requires a level of change management. Now, what COVID demonstrated for us is that when you put your mind to it, you can actually adapt pretty fast, right? When you have to, when the only other alternative is to no longer be in business, you know, it's amazing what you can do. So what we do is the customer success team is baked in. So it goes from, you know, SDR making the first outreach, working with, our account executives, working with our sales engineers, working through that whole buyer's journey. And when it transitions over, typically our account management team picks up along with our customer success team. 
the customer success team is responsible for the deployment and the account management team is responsible for looking after that client once we've deployed and where possible finding expansion. So the thing that has set us apart is unquestionably the customer success team that we have and the commitment that we have to recognizing it's not enough to train the sales enablement people to train everybody. We push to get the sales leaders involved in the process because if they will lead from the front with what we call the cowbell effect, everything else can happen. But if, if you're asking everybody to use this new technology and you as the leader haven't used it yourself, it makes it much harder to have a successful adoption. Well, thank you for that. That sounds like a great experience. I think that's where it all the success starts, right? Is you know how we're onboarded and how we build this so that it's it's an ongoing successful program. Is we've been talking to Mark Magnaca, co-founder and president of Lego and co-author of Mastering Virtual Selling, Orchestrating Sales Success. Mark, this has been a great discussion. I've learned a lot. Tell the audience where can they reach you? Where can we find you? Sure. Well, if you want to know more about the book, you can go to masteringvirtualselling.com. And if you go to masteringvirtualselling.com, Eric, we have an arsenal of content. So in the book, we reference all kinds of different tools, templates, examples. And then we have a companion website that you can access if you go to that website that has the arsenals. So you learn about the concept in the book and the website gives you as a manager, for example, the specific template that you can use to deploy this. I'll just give you a a little final pro tip for your SDRs. One of my favorite SDRs at our own company in the early days of COVID, we were doing one of our meetings and this is a meeting, a a big conference like you do at your company. And in this case, we were recording everybody kind of in their home office. We were, you know, putting a little snippet together for a sizzle reel of everybody, you know, just saying kind of hello. So anyway, this one SDR, he has his closet door open and I kid you not, his underwear is hanging on the closet no. <laughs> So, you know, he just did it fast. He wasn't thinking about it. He right. said, and he's got a great sense of humor. But we, we later used that video as an example. I understand that a lot of young people who are in this role, they're, they're working from an apartment. There's, you know, their home. It can be a challenge. Okay, then use a virtual background like what I'm using right now because you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Having said that, if you happen to have your own office and you happen to have your own space, a little bit of personalization with some authentic elements. You know, we have people that have a guitar up on the wall behind them or they have a baseball bat. You know, there's, they have things that engender normal rapport building, building between human beings. That's great too. So if you can do it consciously and it looks good, do it. If not, use a virtual one. And don't be afraid to turn on the little light to put a little bit more illumination on your face because it makes a difference. It does. Speaking of which, if you guys are watching the video, I did not have my ring light up today. And so my half my face is lit and the other half is dark. Uh, (laughs) Great advice there, Mark. Really appreciated having you on the show here. As I said, learned a lot. I think the Allego platform sounds very, very useful and something that I'll take a a closer look at and definitely looking forward to diving into the book. Everybody make sure you pick that up. Mark, thanks again. Great, Derek. Thank you.